Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How many times have we been through this already? We arrive at a crossroads where the sky seems to be falling. And what happens? At the last minute, the sky decides to stay where it is. The atmosphere improves, and we end up rallying like crazy instead of cascading down. After another day where investors simply could not make up their minds whatsoever about the risk of the sky plummeting. Dow crawling nine points, S&P inching up 0.26%, NASDAQ advancing 0.56%. I keep wondering whether it's really so crazy to expect we'll get some resolution on trade. It makes everyone a little happier. In that case, you're going to be wanting to buy, buy, buy in any negativity as the dips will represent real bargains for our 401ks, our IRAs, and our discretionary mad money portfolios. Yeah, buying opportunity. Now, as I've been telling you every night, the proximate worry right now the thing that has everyone paralyzed with fear is that the president might put a 25% tariff on imported steel and a 10% duty on aluminum. Now, put aside that the Chinese have already almost wiped out all of our aluminum manufacturing capacity. You know, we were the world's number one producer in 2000, and now we make up a little more than 1% of the world's aluminum, and China makes 55%. Hello, economists. Forget that we have the possibility of a resurgent steel industry with all of its attendant jobs that are spinoffs of the mills if the Chinese government could simply be deterred from using steel subsidies as a jobs creation program that also happens to crush the steel-producing competition in the rest of the world. What would happen to this market if the White House, say, if the president just made a small compromise? I, I, I got an idea. How about the president exempts Canada and Mexico since we're supposed to have a free trade agreement with them and the steel tariff is supposed to be about dealing with China, not negotiating or renegotiating on the fly, NAFTA. You know what would happen? We take a deep breath and we say to ourselves, OK, it's not exactly what Wall Street wanted, but it's enough to show that our allies to the north and south remain allies and the trade war is more directly focused on China. There. Amen. OK, look, I'm a big believer in free trade, but you can't have free trade without reciprocity. We give China nearly complete access to our markets. You better believe they don't extend us the same courtesy. We want an open-door policy like we had during the McKinley administration, where we get equal access. Hey, don't you laugh at me. Sometimes I feel it's been since McKinley that we had a decent trade deal with the Chinese. So I believe a more focused tariff that excludes Canada and Mexico, at the very least, would create a wave of jubilation that could even counter the unnerving news tonight 
that Gary Cohn is resigning as the president's chief economic advisor. I think losing Cohn is a blow. I told you that. But it could be more than made up by compromise on Mexico and Canada. And then we will return to our regularly scheduled programming. Now, what comes center stage if we can finally stop fretting about trade? First, I think people would buy the defense stocks, and they would buy the defense stocks hand over fist. The ones that investors think would be hurt the most by across-the-board tariffs, Lockheed, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, they all work for me, and they've been under heavy pressure. I think we'll go back to buying the companies that use these metals as an everyday occurrence. I think we'll buy the companies that would get hurt most from the collapse of NAFTA. You know what comes to mind? STZ. Constellation Brands, which stock has been under pressure because it's the number one importer of Mexican beer. I think that stock could return to all-time highs, especially because it owns a big chunk of, are you ready, Ski Daddy, a red-hot Canadian cannabis company that's about to list in America. I bet some of the most beleaguered international stocks of late, the Boeings and the Caterpillars, have a relief rally. And United Rentals, URI, you should be familiar with them if you watch the show, and are a huge buyer of capital equipment, takes out its all-time high because unlike CAT, it has no Chinese exposure. Now, we'd see the stocks of companies that make trucks just roar. I like Packard. I love Cummins, CMI. Two that make so much sense but have been under severe pressure because of worries about Mexico. Yes, that Mexico will be hit with the tariff, signifying the end of NAFTA. Sure, Cummins has a big Chinese business, and so far China's been a paper tire, while the stock of Cummins has acted like it's going to lose not just the Chinese market, but also the North American market. Truck sales are soaring. The stock of Cummins is going the other way. I think if we get the kind of little tweak that I'm talking about, the stock goes up with it. Now, you know what would do best, though? What would have an absolute rip-snorting rally Ah. if we simply gave Canada and Mexico some exemption from the new duties? The answer is always right in front of your face. It's whatever's working right now before we even get a compromise. And that means Netflix. It means Amazon. They're on insane tears as they extend their worldwide dominance. Holy smoke, did you know? Did you know that the stock of Netflix is only $16 billion in market cap less than Disney? At this pace, at this trajectory, well, that's going to cross. Uh, there will be people who are going to come back and buy the stock of Alphabet, which does no business in China anyway, so it can continue to scream higher. And most important, it means companies lever to the cloud can continue the remarkable renaissance. Now, I've been on this theme for ages. Regular viewers know I'm a big believer in the cloud-based companies like the Adobe's, the Workdays. The Red Hats, the Service Nest. Have you seen that animal? And the Splunks. They won't quit. At this time last week, I was astounded when Salesforce.com reported a quarter that I wouldn't have expected to occur until, say, like next year, maybe 18 months from now. Salesforce is all about taking data and making sense of it through every means possible to garner more sales for its customers, who, by the way, are very important to Salesforce. The quarter was spectacular in every way. We also got amazing results from another cloud-oriented enterprise software company, Pegasystems, not as big, much smaller than Salesforce, but one that's been able to empower its customers to do more for their clients with fewer employees. Pegas on the shows tonight, so you'll understand exactly why it's been a lights-out stock. Then last week, last week you could see the spillover to the hardware side of things, the mundane, the prosaic. We started hearing rumblings the week before that Micron was going to do well because of revival of the personal computer market. I came right to you with MU. It was in the mid-40s. I said bye. I'm not relenting. I still say bye. This was confirmed when Micron's management told Morgan Stanley that business was better than expected last week. And if Micron's having a good quarter, then it's spilling over to Western Digi. 
Yeah, that's how you call it. Western Digital, WDC. And of course, Intel. Holy cow, Intel is on a breakout like I haven't seen since 1994. Yes. Now, though, it's time to focus on the next derivative, as they say, if you take like calculus. And that's the companies that make the equipment that requires to create the semiconductor foundries in all, found in all these devices. Yeah. Who, who makes the silicon turn into like things that you can't believe, like zettabytes? And that's not Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's like 21 times, okay? If the chip business is booming, the chip-making machinery business is booming, too. In other words, the semiconductor capital equipment company like Glam Research, Applied Materials. Now, we got Lam on tonight. Can you believe that? And we're going to talk about it. They're at the heart of innovation. They are, tr- are innovation-driven demand-for-technology company writ large. Yep, that's where the money's going to go if we get some sort of NAFTA compromise that perhaps maybe exempts Canada and Mexico, focuses more clearly on the pernicious impact of China, which has been targeting the aluminum and steel industries and has already pretty much wiped out the former. So here's the bottom line. If we get some positive resolution to the tariff issue, a small compromise from the White House, something that would counter the admittedly negative news of Gary Cohn's resignation after butting heads with the president over free trade, you'll want to buy the stocks that have been under pressure because of fears of worldwide tariff that can still be avoided, and you go to what's working now, the cloud, and with it, big data analytics, two themes that are just downright overpowered since the market bottomed in February and seemed to be getting stronger by the day. I want to go to Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda! Hi, Jim. Booyah! Booyah! What's up? Jim, there's so much going on. Let's talk Harley-Davidson. Okay. I I understand the plant, the Kansas City plant, will be closing sometime next year. I understand Harley may be looking at electric motorcycles. And yes, then there is that nasty retaliatory tariff uh, measure. Mm -hmm. Jim, put the pieces together for me. I'm confused. Well, I I have to tell you, in the end, Rhonda, I am customer-driven and customer-focused, and Harley-Davidson needs more customers. And it doesn't have them right now. And that's far more important to me than the whole kind of like, you know, Big kind of, you know, esoteric, ethereal rap. Although when I sat on Harley, when my friend Michael Haley took me to the one on uh, Route 10, it was a lot of fun. Let's go to Khalil in Texas, please. Khalil! Hey, Jim. What's happening? My stock is VMware. VMware recently beat on earnings, but the stock still experienced a large sell-off because of the recent news regarding a potential reverse merger by Dell. Does this dip in the stock by this news make VMware a buying opportunity? I think it does. Now, I don't not think that Michael Dell, not that I know the man that well, that Michael Dell is going to hurt the stock of VMware. In the meantime, you're absolutely right. The quarter was fabulous, helped by the Amazon connection, AWS. <laughs> Let's go to Rana, please, in New York, Rana. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. My, my question is in regards to Sprint. Sprint Corporation stock seems to have bought bottomed out after a year-long downturn. The company has also implemented a new CFO who has a recent track record of turning around telecommunication companies, such as Alcatel, Orange, and Vodafone. In addition, Sprint has plans to launch its 5G network almost a year ahead of its closest competitor, T-Mobile. Right. Do you foresee Sprint Corporation as a good long position? I think if you like all that, you should be buying the bonds. I think the stock right now is really stalled. I do think, speaking of stalled, T-Mobile seems like it's ready at last 
the launch of six and three dollars and fifty six cents. I say Ixnay Sprint. It's time to buy John Ledger stock. It's bottom and it's ready to rally. Love it when you call me Big Data. I may rename, you know, I got one dog, NVIDIA. I've been using Chevron for the other dog. I'm getting tired of that. He'll call him Big Data. He answers to anything, though. He's, so I mean, he's not that bright. Now, data analytics for your home gamers is what matters. And that's what's working now on Mad Money tonight. Okay, what am I doing? I'm breaking down Wall Street's walled worries to see if they're warranted. Then time to do some shopping in the retail sector after what happened to Target. With the group having a nice resurgence of late X Target, I'm going to see where we should be with the chartist. And by the way, Ross Doors okay tonight. Urban Outfitters down three and then coming right back. How about the Morons who sold JW Norsham? And the Lions get all the hype. But could a lamb get... Could a lamb get... Whatever. Don't miss my interview with the CEO of chipmaker Lamb Research, fresh off its analyst day. And stick with, do we have any carpet tax? Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I've noticed a disturbing pattern since the market peaked at the end of January, one that continues this very night with the resignation of Gary Cohn, the president's chief economic advisor, something that is causing the futures to plummet this evening. If you recall, we came to this year full of vim and vigor, ready to do some buying of pretty much everything that moved. Why not? The economy was better. Interest rates were tame. We just got tax relief, which translated into a massive surge in profits that no one saw coming. But since then, we've encountered a series of issues that have pretty much made it so we worry every darn day, like this cone news after the close. Which begs the question, how much of this is really worth worrying about and how much of it simply now comes with a newfound territory? We fret about the 10-year Treasury plummeting in price, sending yields to 3%, which has become some sort of weird marginal line that will cause the bulls to surrender if it's pierced. We worry about wage inflation after we got an allegedly strong salary number in the January payroll report that we got in February. No matter that real wages actually didn't go higher. The number was viewed as too hot, and now we must fret about this Friday's payroll figures, another hot one we get hammered. We are disturbed by this VIX issue where this one little instrument laid the market to waste all because a bunch of dumb hedge funds and neophyte investors borrowed money to bet it wouldn't spike. It's beyond silliness that's a backfired strategy basically waging on a permanently less wild market and that it could cause so much havoc. But it's most certainly the reason why the decline came so swiftly. The other big one because that we simply became overbought. We were due for a pullback. I think the worry about the VIX, like the payroll number, is very much with us today. We had a good market for the bulls today until the VIX spiked, and that was all she wrote for the industrials. And then poof, just like that, they went down. Then the VIX went down and the market went back up. This stupid trade is still a problem. Now there's also the alleged trade war to worry about, one that cost the president and his chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, this very evening. Cohn would not abide by the tariffs that the president wants. Cohn's a free trader. I am sure he would be happy with business as usual. And that means dealing with trade scoff laws by filing suits with trade organizations hoping for the best. However, while it's easy to bring cases against the Chinese before the World Trade Organization, the fact is that no WTO penalty will ever be enough to 
stop them from dumping steel and aluminum. You need to send a real signal or else they're never going to stop. And that's something Cohn clearly could not stomach. But why would the Chinese ever change? They've always been working great. Great for China, that is. Of course, the big issue here is that the current orthodoxy on free trade is a religion, one that I think Cohn professed, and its followers are very dogmatic. Everyone cheats when it comes to trade. We need to be able to go tit for tat with them, or I think we'll end up like the British Empire of the early 20th century. It turned the other cheek over and over on these trade issues until it was finally eclipsed by the Germans. You want some real truth? For a long time, our government has made a calculated decision that it's more valuable for American capitalists and consumers to let the Chinese get away with dumping. We basically sacrificing the steel and aluminum industries to boost profits for everyone else. We tell ourselves that what China does to steel and aluminum is just the cost of doing business with this gigantic Chinese market. It doesn't matter, for example, if Nucor is the lowest cost capitalist producer. The Communist Party has targeted that industry to put people to work. And the Wall Street orthodoxy of which Gary Cohn is from is OK. We need to sell into China. And if our steel industry takes a beating, that's a small price to pay. There it is. That's the ethos. I disagree with it. These steel plants aren't islands. They are ecosystems of jobs, and we want those ecosystems to stay here. But let's not get too dragged into a policy debate. This is mad money, after all. I'm here to try to help you find a way to profit, regardless of what the White House does. And that means that there's still opportunities after Gary Cohn's departure. Look, we still have a strong economic growth. Cohn's departure doesn't change that. The worries sure are real, but uh, they do make things more treacherous. The market, in short, just isn't as good as it used to be. Accept that and move on or prepare for it and sell the rallies and buy the big dips, including the one that Cohn's departure may cause, because the sky's not falling. If we get some compromise, I think you'll do just fine. Much more mad money ahead. I'm going off the charts to find out what's next for retail. Then Lamb Research is up more than 15% over the past month alone. Use day to day. What do drones and data centers mean for its future? Don't miss my interview with the CEO. And it's a company that works with the likes of Royal Bank of Scotland and United Healthcare. And you may have never heard of it. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO just ahead. So stick with Kramer. While everyone else seems to be deeply ambivalent about this market and Gary Cohn's departure from the White House is going to cause a slide for certain in tomorrow's trading, I want to highlight some of the stories that might be compelling even in the wake of the chief economic advisor's exit. So let's talk about a domestic story, the remarkable resurgence of retail in recent months, something that probably won't be affected by Cohn's actual departure. Remember, this whole group was written off and left for dead less than a year ago. Everyone assumed that bricks and mortar merchants could never compete with the web. And Amazon, the retail death star, was just going to wipe them out one after another. But thanks to a very strong holiday season and a roaring economy, this group has come back with a vengeance. Suddenly, retail is alive and well. The consumer spending and money's pouring into this once moribund sector, with a few notable exceptions like Target, which just imploded. Although, even if it goes down a lot more tomorrow because of the cone slide, it might be an interesting situation. There are a lot more TJXs, though, than Targets. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star duo behind the street.com 
Trifecta.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. We've got to get a better read on what's happening here in the retail stocks. Lang points out that retail has gone from a leader to a laggard in fairly short time. And even with the recent turmoil on the averages, the S&P Retail ETF, the XRT, is the fourth best performer out of 197 different industry groups. In other words, big institutional money managers keep investing in retail here because they believe this turnaround is for real. I do not think they will be deterred by a weak opening tomorrow. Consider four big ones, starting with the daily chart of Costco, which reports later this week. Costco is a longtime Kramer fave, and it's also a stock they own for Lang's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. How about the action here, though? Costco continues to consolidate its recent gains, holding above both its 50-day moving average and its 200. Despite the volatility of the last month, Lang points out that Costco's volume tends to rise on up sessions. You know what? This is a classic bullish sign. Remember, volume is like a polygraph for these charters. It tells you whether a move is lying or speaking the truth. And the strong volume on up days means that the strength in Costco is honest. Meanwhile, the relative strength index, or the RSI, that's down here at the bottom, that's an important momentum indicator, has been trending steadily higher, but still far from being in overbought territory. And Costco is soon going to break out of a wedge pattern. If it breaks out to the upside, as Lang expects, the stock he thinks could sail through to $200. Plus, he's noticed some bullish option activity in the April 190 calls, uh, and higher calls, too. And that's another real sign that Wall Street has gotten pretty positive on the name. Interesting to see what happens if it tests this low tomorrow on Cohn's departure. How about the daily chart of Nordstrom, the department store that just turned down an $8.4 billion bid from the Nordstrom family to take the company private? Lang likes the action here. The massive rebound on Friday indicates that big institutional buyers bought the sell-off at the open. When investors are eager to buy the dips, that's a good sign. If there's follow-through, Lang says these reversals can mark huge turns for a stock. He also points out that volume levels here have swelled of late, and lots of investors were buying March 52.5 call options. They're clearly looking for Nordstrom stock to move much higher in the days ahead. That suggests to me that they knew that the Nordstrom family's bid was simply too low. Maybe they're waiting for a bidding war to start here. I don't know, but stranger things have happened. Last time, the family couldn't take Nordstrom private because they weren't able to get the financing they needed. This time, the underlying company is simply too valuable and wants a higher price. Meanwhile, Lang notes that the moving average convergence divergence uh, of their MACD indicator, important gauge of momentum, just flashed a bullish crossover where the black line crosses above the red line. And this is one of the most reliably bullish signals out there. Lang thinks it might not have too much trouble climbing above 57 over the coming weeks. Again, a cone departure could change that. But I think that Nordstrom is really in the grips of the takeover people now. Then there's the daily stock of Macy's, which had a strong surge after it reported a stunning quarter last week. Nice follow through. The check in money flow, the CMF here, uh, the oscillator, which measures the level of buying and selling pressure, has turned positive again, meaning the big boys are giving Macy's their blessing. For Lang, this chart tells the story of institutional investors coming back on board with Macy's. Right now, it's a $30 stock. He sees it moving to 35 over the course of the spring. Finally, we need to address the daily chart of the incredible bouncing TJX, the parent of TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and Home Goods. Lang says TJX has the best chart of them all. After reporting a surprise blowout quarter last week, the stock spiked on Wednesday, even as the averages got hammered. Then TJX stayed up on Thursday, despite the fact that the averages got hammered yet again. When a stock is up on a big down day, you know the underlying company is doing a very right. And Lang thinks the move might just be getting started. The MACD indicator just just now flash a buy. Okay, just now. Uh, and again, this is a pretty reliable indicator. While the relative strength index at the bottom is at overbought levels, 
these stories that stay overbought because it's attracting too much positive attention after being kind of down in the dumps for quite some time, I like. In my view, that last quarter from DJX was indeed a game changer. Lying says it's going from the mid-80s to the 90s by the summer, and then right when we get to 100 is where he thinks it could top out. My view, if the market cascades because of Cone's departure, this is the first stock to buy. Tomorrow morning, you buy TGX. And you can do a lot worse than Costco, Macy's, and Nordstrom in this environment. But just pick one or two. We need to stay diversified. And what about the big blow-up today from Target, which sent the stock plunging 4.4%? Okay, he says, don't touch this, okay? Looking at the chart, Lang points out it's now selling off on a high turnover. That's a classic bearish sign. Okay, big surprise. The MACD indicator has rolled over to a sell signal, and Lang could see the stock tumble from 71 all the way down to 60 I say, ouch. The thing to remember here is that target sales were actually strong. The problem was with the execution. Specifically, management spent way too much money juicing those sales, and other retailers that have gotten the execution right are doing better. The bottom line, stocks are coming down on Cone's departure and tougher talk on China. Lang says the charge for domestic retailers unaffected by world trade, right, could be a good place to go. He likes Costco, Macy's, and Nordstrom. But the one to buy into the weakness tomorrow is going to be TJX. Consider that as the first line of defense in tomorrow's trading. Stick with Kramer. All right, for those of you who are still on the fence about the semiconductor stocks, if you're wary of this group because historically it's been a boom and bust business, and this boom has to be running out of juice, right? Today we got yet another piece of evidence that the space will keep roaring for quite some time. Remember, the personal computer is growing again, which means all the chips that go into them are growing too, but boy, that's not enough for you. And today, Kramer Fave Lamb Research, the big semiconductor capital equipment maker, held an analyst and investor day where management told a very compelling story and the stock caught fire, pole vaulting $9.00. 74 cents or 4.91 percent. Lamb is doing extremely well at the moment, so well that the company told us it's doing it, going to increase the dividend by 120 percent, more than double, while also adding two billion to the buyback on top of the two billion that's left from the repurchase authorization the company announced back in November. Nothing says we're confident about our long-term prospects like a monster buyback and a monster dividend boost. Don't take it from me though. Let's check in with Martin Ansis. He's the CEO of Lamb Research to get a better sense of where his company is headed, and I'm telling you, it is headed higher. Martin, good to see you. Jim good to have you here, of course. Have a much. seat. It's a pleasure. To Martin, this presentation was extraordinary for multiple reasons, but I'd say that one of the things that was the theme, and I talked about at the top of the show, more data generated, stored, analyzed. You can't live without, we can't live anymore without LAM research, can we? I think that's, that's a good headline. Uh, you know, there's, there are two messages, really, that we deliver today. One of them is the insatiable appetite for data, as you've just, uh, you just alluded to. Really, data is a disruptor in every part of our life. It has the potential to create enormous value, enormous productivity. And uh, right at the center of making that possible is the role of silicon. And the role of silicon is where LAM Research gets to play a big enabler and a big technology contribution role. Well, you're talking about smart home, 50 billion connected devices, smart industry, one petabyte, uh, mobile, autonomous car, four terabytes. By 2020, you, did you make this term up? 67 zettabytes? Uh, no, didn't make the term up. <laughs> 21 zeros, by the way, in a zettabyte. So it's a lot of data. And it's not the data of old. It's not the structured data of spreadsheets. Right. It's now unstructured data. And the value proposition comes from insight and action 
which requires very, very high-performance compute, which is the leading-edge silicon story. Well, the reason I, I'm making the Zettabyte a joke is, is that this is something that does not sound like, well, you know what, when the GDP goes down, this gets crushed, and then it goes up, it gets strong again. That seems like it has, that has nothing to do with any business cycle in the world. No, it's, it's very fundamental. I mean, the socioeconomic challenges of the world today have no practical alternative in terms of a solution set than artificial intelligence and cognitive decision support. And that's, that's the role of big data, and that's the role of silicon, and that's the role of land research. Climate change, education, food and water, health care. These are now where land research plays? Absolutely. Autonomous vehicles. You know, judging by the amount of time it took me to get to your studio today, uh, there's plenty of opportunity for, for global gridlock to be solved by autonomous vehicles and smart infrastructure. And that's a great example where silicon is playing a much bigger role. If you look at the amount of data that is in the roadmap of autonomous vehicles, uh, four terabytes of data uh, being able to sense from a car per day. Um, an autonomous vehicle is capable of extracting more data than an average server is able to store today. There are eight times the amount of automos, automotives manufactured every year than servers. This is a tremendous opportunity. Well, why, the why won't these cars cost a million dollars? They won't cost a billion dollars because one of the historical attributes of this industry, the silicon industry, is a perpetual commitment to performance improvements and cost reduction. So there are three drivers, really. Connectivity, cloud, computation, and cost. Well, okay, because when I look at, uh, I worry. Okay, let me give you my worry. Yep. I, when I hear from the from personal computer companies, when I hear from someone, the DRAM prices keep going up. Yep. I have to wonder at a certain point yep. whether they can make the product and make any money, get a return if the DRAMs are going up so high. Yep. I think it's really a commentary on sustainability. I mean, that's the essence yep. of your question. Um, and the investments that our customers are making today have never been more valuable. The value proposition today is entirely different. There are ROI is entirely different. The investments by our customers, while they may be the highest in history, right. as a percentage of their profitability, they are lower today than at any point in a 15-year period. There is health in the ecosystem. Right. The semiconductor industry has added $100 billion to revenues in the last five years. The cloud community, the top seven right. cloud companies, have added $200 billion to the revenues with a 20% CAGR and a 30% operating income. There is health in the ecosystem, and that's a big part of the sustainability. And is that why, why your board was able to do something that I've not seen uh, companies do? It's a big part of how we think about delivering value to our shareholders. You know, our primary focus is on vesting in the profitable growth of our company, right. and when we have cash that's excess to that need, returning it to our shareholders. Why aren't you more worried? I mean, historically, we're supposed to be worried about land research at this stage of the cycle. I think I closed my prepared comments today in our analyst meeting with we live in an entirely different world. We are a different industry and a different company. And, and everything in your question really characterizes how important that is to understand. Well, we're finally there. You told us it would be there, and we're finally there. This is not your parents or, of course, my generation's LAM research. That's Martin Nance. He's the CEO of LAM. This stock's been stuck in a range for a long time, and I think that range is now no longer to be able to contain the stock. Man, money's back in the break. Look, 
Before we get to light you out, I just want you to understand that the departure of the president's chief economic advisor will cause a lot of worry tomorrow that we really are going to go to the mat against China. I've been saying for some time that the biggest risk to this market is Gary Cohn exiting, and it's going hand in hand with a real step up in rhetoric against the People's Republic, something that will cause the VIX to spike and therefore cause the market to sell off. I just want you to know that we will weather this the way we always do, together, taking our time, being patient, and looking for the best and, of course, safest ways to make money. And now it is time. It's over the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with David in New Jersey. David. Good evening, Jim. I'd like your opinion on Sorrento Therapeutics, S-R-N-E. Yeah, I've been eyeing this. Obviously, there's just it's just a straight-up situation. It is not the kind of situation we're going to be in right now. You need to be backstopped by a buyback. In that case, you should be in Amgen. Amgen. Mason in California. Mason. Booyah, baby Jimbo. I love you, man. I got two uh, questions. How okay. are these Trump tariffs going to affect the Fed stocks? Lockheed Martin, do I buy more? Do I sell? Okay, let What's Lockheed first? Martin come down with the futures and then pull the trigger because it is precisely the kind of stock you want to buy on Cone's departure. Let's go to Dennis in Florida. Dennis. That's Glenn. Glenn, you're up. Yeah. From Los Angeles. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for taking my call. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I'm calling about Zag, Z-A-G-G. You look, I mean, Zag trades, people feel trades with cell phones. Cell phone growth is stagnant, therefore people don't like it. May I suggest you go completely the other way and buy Lamb Research. How about we go to Joel in Pennsylvania? Joel! Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, I was just wondering, uh, you... Uh, gave a recommendation about seven or eight months ago for Vanta, but I jumped in, and it's had a heck of a run, and I was just wondering what you thought. For VNTV? Um, you know, that's, I don't, Vanta doesn't trade anymore. I, we, WorldPay trades, and WorldPay is something we like very, very much. I think it's a good situation. I'd like MasterCard and Visa to win any weakness. Let's go to Richard in California, please. Richard! Yeah, hi, Jim. Richard, you're up. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Hey, uh, quickly, I just want to say I've only invested for about a year now. Okay. If it wasn't for you, I could not have done it. Thank you very much. And I, and I love the, the Investing 101 you, you put out there. That's it's what fantastic. we want to do. Absolutely. I'm trying to teach here. Go ahead. You're doing it. Okay, I want to ask you about Pattern Energy Group. I love the sector. It's been dumping, but the dividends are amazing. So i got to find out whether that dividend is, is uh, sustainable. That dividend seems way too high to me and therefore too risky. Mark in Illinois. Mark! Hi, Jim. Congratulations on the Eagles. Oh, thank you. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, I hope Chicago actually gets an NFL team sometime. But I'm um, looking at AMCX. You know what? This is a. We used to call this a down stock. This is a re. I do not like the movie, motion picture, the movie theater business. I just don't. John in Florida, John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, first time caller. Hey, uh, okay. Al Dupont, DWDP. All right, this stock is going to get hammered tomorrow morning off of Cohn's resignation. Just hammered. And you know what? This is the kind of thing two days from now we'll wonder why we sold the stock. It's an action alerts name, and I think it is a buy, but only after it's been hammered. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Don't let the
the recent turbulence in the market scare you away from the many powerful long-term themes that we teach about that are still out there, still making people money? Take the cloud-based enterprise software space. The group is on fire and it's going to stay on fire regardless of what happens with the VIX or the tenure or the tariffs. Which brings me to Pegasystems, P-E-G-A for you home gamers. The cloud-oriented software company that helps develop custom applications for businesses. They're involved in everything from marketing to sales to customer relations, management, and uh, by the way, to business process optimization. The next time the market pulls back, this is exactly the kind of stock that should be on your shopping list. Pegasystems just reported a blowout quarter. When I saw it, I said, holy cow, how is this possible? Delivering dramatically higher than expected earnings and revenues, not to mention giving us incredibly strong full-year guidance. This more than made up for the not-so-odd quarter that they reported the last time around. Well, I thought it was fine. The stock folded from 56 to 60 in the news. And if anything, I think that it has a lot more room to run. Why? Well, Pegasus, get this, says it's going to earn a buck twenty per share this year. The analysts will Looking for 79 cents. If they can hit that number, then I think there's more upside. Let's take a closer look with Alan Treffler. He's the founder and CEO of Pegasus Systems. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Treffler, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey. Good to see you. Thank and you, you have made a lot of money for shareholders since we've seen each other last. Okay, I'm going to read a quote from your deck, and I love it. If you've driven a car, use your credit card, called a company for service, opened an account, applied for a loan, accepted an offer, flown on an airplane, paid a bill, submitted a claim, or countless other things you do in your day, you've interacted with Pega. So where are you that you are everywhere? Well, we try to position ourselves as being at the heart of what today is now called digital transformation. That's really trying to connect organizations uh, in ways that their customers touch the outcomes. But but you're using artificial intelligence to Mm -hmm. do so. That would not have been the case, say, five years ago. Well, actually, we did make a big move into AI seven years ago. Yeah, we actually did an acquisition, re-implemented a technology into our core platform. And I think one of the things that differentiates Pega that our clients appreciate is that we have a real coherent architecture that makes it easy to bring the AI into conjunction with the, the operations and getting things done. Okay, so I am a customer of United Healthcare. Uh, uh, my kids call, uh, I call, my wife calls. Uh, how did, is that, they route me correctly because of you? How did, who is it, my doctor that calls UNH? How do they interact with Pega? Well, United, for example, as do a number of other large healthcare providers, uh, or payers, use us in a variety of ways. They, for example, would have used us to credential the physicians to help make sure that the physicians that um, would be in a position to treat you all had the proper board certifications and all were part of the right plans. They would use you, us in the service arena okay. to be able to answer some of the questions that you might have and make sure they're staying in line with regulations. And I noticed that you are strong in banks, Royal Bank of Scotland, but America's best. This is another company I interact with constantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure whether I'm interacting, I mean, obviously I'm interacting with someone who uses the Pegasus system, but uh, I call America's best all the time. Am I getting a Someone who is knowing more than they would have uh, if they didn't have to. Oh, absolutely. And, of okay. course, Amex has world-class service. Their reps, the service reps, are completely interacting with Pega as they answer their question. Okay. Now, in your uh, conference call, uh, first real-time AI. Over the course of 2017, we continue to enhance our real-time AI offerings. We introduced the industry's first-ever AI transparency controls. What are transparency controls? This is a really important and, I think, misunderstood concept as it relates to AI. Some people are counting on AI to basically eliminate human thought. The trouble with that is it's really easy for expert systems to violate the law, to, for example, not approve a loan that the law would require you to based on redlining rules. So transparency lets you say, hey, for this use of AI... The AI needs to be explainable. 
The AI needs to explain exactly how it came to that decision, which isn't true for the majority of it, and I think this is a huge differentiator for us. Okay, now, uh, one of the things that I, when I read that in the conference call, it said that, that some compliance can spot it, said someone can spot that. Who, in other words, they use a certain kind of language that, they, that you spot? Well, the, the real key is if you get uh, a regulator looking at you, right. can you demonstrate that the decisions you've been making are consistent with considering certain facts, you're allowed to consider, right. and not considering other facts, such as where people live, which is outside the bounds of the law. Native AI misses this all the time. Okay. Our transparency, well, makes it transparent, explains how the decision was made. Okay, I know that's incredible. My wife is in real estate, so I know that this is exactly what they look, and you, know, you have to be mm -hmm. able to demonstrate you, they, kind of that you're, that you're a good actor. Absolutely, and, and knowing, having the management of the organizations that we deal with know that they have that control, we see them really loving that. Well, it's, it's obvious to me that you've taken, you've, what, three huge clients this quarter, 10, 10 million. These are the kinds of deals that catapult you, right? We, we, we always love those big deals, but a big part of our business strategy these days, particularly with our move to the cloud, has been to make it easier to get started with much smaller clients, clients we would not have historically been able to work with at all. And being able to get a company that has 500, 1,000 staff up and highly successful in record time. Well, it's clearly working. That was some blowout quarter. That's Alan Treffler, the CEO of Pegasystems. Listen, this is a transparent company. The deck is transparent. The conference call is transparent. Get to know it. If this stock comes in, it's a buy. Stick with Kramer. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to go one-on-one -on -one with Kramer. Reaction. What other questions do we have? Ah, I always tell people you got to start with an index fund because I need you to be diversified. Get more with guests. How do you stay sharp? And go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television. If you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock, don't buy it. Follow Mad Money today. Let's all take a deep breath. Is Gary Cohn important? Absolutely. Was he a steady hand? Definitely. Did he have great Wall Street smarts? Yes. He was number two at Goldman Sachs, a firm that I worked at. Was he a great counter sometimes? And did he get the tax reform package through? Yes. But he is not the president of the United States, and he butted heads with the president over what is known as free trade. I say what is known as because I don't think there's anything free about the trade we had with China. That said, there will be many people who choose to panic on this. And I tell you over and over again that panic is not a strategy, and very few people listen to me. They decide that this is the end of the world. And then they come in on Thursday and say it's the end of the world number two. And they get to Friday, it's the unemployment number, and it's end of the world number three. I say take a breath. Do not let events like this cause you to panic. Is it a great time to buy? Let the market come down. I did give you a pretty good instance on the charts, which is that TJX might be the right place. But I'm not oblivious. I know this is going to hurt the stock market. At the same time, though, there will be another time where we'll look back and say, why did I sell? Oh, that's right. It was because Gary Cohn left. And that's what you're going to be thinking. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.
I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.